It's the Jeremiah Show. Welcome to the Jeremiah Show. Hey, I want to give you a little quick production note, everybody that's listening out there. If you are listening to this interview on the radio station somewhere around the world in your car or wherever you're at, or if you're listening to it on the podcast, great. You have access to music and clips in this audio interview that you won't hear on the YouTube channel interview. However, I really strongly encourage you to also go check out the YouTube interview as VFX supervisor Eric Durst has shared with us his professional reel, which is for you that are in, in the business out there, it's examples of his work for the industry. So we, we just opened with Eric's reel and it's fantastic uh you're probably on the edge of your seat if you're watching it we just opened uh like i said the youtube show with that amazing body of work by eric durst eric also shares his work with us on the youtube interview on the helipad for five days at memorial which is on it uh on apple tv plus and his work on the music video for George Michael's Freak. The videos are exclusively on the YouTube channel interview. So check those out. And while you're there, why not subscribe? I really appreciate that. Okay, there is nothing quite like the magic of the movies, is there? For me, there's nothing so magical as the entire experience of going to the movies. The dark theater, surrounded by anxious and excited strangers, munching my popcorn and the red vines and that ice-cold Coke, uh, watching every movie trailer, and I have to get there in time to watch all the movie trailers. It's part of the experience for me. Um, the lights when they go down, the sound of all those speakers surrounding you in a bath of sound, that silver screen flickering to life in front of you. I am transported, and I'm never happier than at this moment. For me, it's pure magic. Today, our special guest is the returning VFX supervisor, Eric Durst. Eric joined us last month, only days after he and his talented VFX team won the 2023 Visual Effects Society Award for Outstanding Supporting Visual Effects in a Photo Reel Episode, Five Days at Memorial, Day 2, when the levee broke. If you haven't seen that, watch the show. But check out uh, the interview with Eric Durst. And Eric actually did a little mo mu movie magic with our YouTube video. He, uh, being the professional he is, our screen apparently froze, our Wi-Fi, so his, his beautiful work froze as well. Eric downloaded it, corrected it, re we re-uploaded it, and uh, you got to go check it out. It's, uh, thanks for, for jumping in. We, uh, do I owe you a check, Eric? <laughs> I don't think I can afford you, though, but he did this. Uh, you know, he doesn't want his work to, to go out into the public, and I, I love that type of professional. Um, without being just perfect. 
so after this is what happens after the interview i didn't want to say goodbye to eric i had so many questions still and i could honestly talk movies and what eric does for hours and days and weeks and you know and then he'd never get any movies made and (laughs) (laughs) and probably block my calls um but we talked movie magic together on that episode and so then eric offered he said i'll come back uh I hope you don't live to regret that, Eric. <laughs> that decision. <laughs> oh no. Uh, we quickly decided I like to talk movies too. So. Yeah. Oh man, I love to talk them and watch. Well, you know what? That's one thing I do. I love to talk movies, but I don't like to talk movies when I'm watching a movie. That drives me right. nuts. People that pause the movie and talk through the movie. <laughs> when I go into a movie, it's like a religious experience. I just want to. I now go alone most of the times. If I do go to a theater. Because I just want that that experience and nobody to interrupt me. I just really want to. But I also love the shared experience with a crowd when they're laughing or they're gasping when Eric has blown them away with one of his scenes. Okay, so here's what we're doing right now. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I think it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I'll appreciate any of the time with Eric and uh, that Eric spends with all of us. We're so privilege and honored honestly to have eric spent give us this much time um he's a busy busy man so we decided to do like a what i'm calling the eric durst fx f excuse me vfx series this is part two and we're going to do it monthly until he decides to block that call (laughs) 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 all right so let me do it properly today it's my extreme honor and pleasure to reintroduce you to eric durst one of hollywood's most sought after vfx supervisors which is basically a really important title for being a big kid with a big imagination that knows no boundaries and he's got the talent to bring it to life for us welcome back eric Thank you very much. Great to be here, Jeremiah. Yeah, a month went by so fast. (laughs) It did, yeah. (laughs) Uh, A lot lot to talk about. Yeah, we do. And, you know, I really want, uh, you know, there's so many things that we didn't get to. We barely scratched the surface last time. You know, it was was basically an introduction to you, and then we had to say goodbye. But I want to catch up with you. Oscars, big big night last night for Hollywood. It was. a, a very big one, and uh, I thought it was a great show. I really thought uh, Jimmy Kimmel did terrific work, and it just flowed beautifully. And um, you know, everyone was very humble in their acceptance and genuine in their acceptance speeches. Sometimes it gets very stilted, and everyone sort of goes way over the top. But mm-hmm. I felt they were really heartfelt, and um, I, I liked that a lot. I thought it was a great show. Was there a highlight for you that you that that is an example of one of the speeches, something that touched you or. Well, yeah, I mean, one, a personal one, Ed Berger is a friend of mine and I worked with on a show called the terror. Ed did uh, all quiet on the Western front, which won a great number of awards and was also nominated for the best digital effects. It didn't win because avatar it's impossible to win against avatar. <laughs> and uh, uh, which is, it's, that's a story into itself in terms of just the technology and stuff that they developed on it. But I think Edward is very gracious and a great collaborator collaborator. And so he spent most of his speech, you know, introducing all the people in his team. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really wonderful. So 
he's a, a good guy and an extreme talent, extremely good talent. Yeah. It is always nice to see, you know, the, the person that leads the team actually take the time to, to, to uh, recognize the team because you can't, right. you know, you know this, I'm sure you cannot yeah. do it all alone. Right. I mean, you've got, you no. need that team and they're there for you many long, long hours. Absolutely. Uh, and so you, you predicted Avatar, the way of water would win best oh, visual yeah. effects, which oh, it yeah, did. Sure. Yeah. Do you know? Well, I mean, they, they spent they spent about eight years, I believe, on that particular show. They have multiple other avatars, I believe. Um, I know people who were asked to to uh, either be a producer or, or work on it, and it was, I think, an eight or ten year commitment to go down to New Zealand. So that was sort of a life, you know, right. epic uh, journey. Uh, some signed up some said i just can't do that that's a big chunk of my life so dedication uh, dedication so it's uh but a lot of work on that and i know some of the people who worked on that as well and and just uh you it, it's the kind of thing you you don't see like the the beautiful thing about the visual effects awards uh and the emmys as well as they do breakdowns and those will be online available probably uh the avatar breakdowns but uh, you can see some of the things, the nuances they've done in the technology in terms of water, especially, and just uh, compositing or, or, in other words, putting images together. They've done a lot of uh, very unique and powerful, uh, built a lot of powerful tools. So that that is uh, alone a special achievement, and that's what the award goes for. How many of these, I would imagine it's a pretty small I mean, Hollywood's re re really, when you look at it and the people that work all the time and you yeah. see a lot of them over and over, right? It's like high school in a way. I've right. always compared it to high school. Um, the, the great ones are there and they're always working and, and you, see, you get, you know, over the years, if you, if you have a successful career like you do, Eric, you probably work with a lot of them or know of them or know them, right? right? And, and in oh, yeah. your, your area, visual effects, how small is that? You know, it's, it's very small. And I was privileged to begin at sort of not the beginning, beginning, but but uh, close to it. And um, it was very small, actually, in, in visual effects, the, the the companies that were really just in Los Angeles and then a uh, company in New York. And it was this is and then this is right after George Lucas had moved up uh, north to um to uh, Marin County. So uh, a lot of it really started in Los Angeles. And so everyone sort of knew each other because they were, uh, you know, kind of skills that, that no one had, people had to develop. So it's, it was a very small world and then it's expanded and it's worldwide now. And it's like, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of artists around, but in terms of the core people, uh, you sort of keep those relationships and know those and, and those all seem to funnel into all the other relationships. And, and like you're saying, Hollywood is a small town and really any industry is, is small when you get to a certain level and you start to know people and it's about networking. And uh, people say, oh, it's not what you do, it's who you know. And in a way... That's not entirely true, but it is who you know, because you want to hire people that you, you get along with and also have the skill sets. And in certain areas, visual effects especially, there's so many skill sets that you need 
that there are very few people who who actually have all those skills embodied in their uh, in their work. So that that narrows the field quite significantly. Mm. Yeah, and and you mentioned with Avatar that it was well, you said an eight year commitment to to work on that film and the right. visual effects, you know, on that film. How? You know, on most films, what is is there an average? I guess it all depends on on what uh, what the film calls for. But as far as visual effects and design, but is is there a you know are most films most projects a year in this area in your field uh, six months? I mean, does it, it, it well varies from film to film? I'm sure, but is there yeah. how often? I mean, how. Uh, when do you come on? When do they bring you in, bring you on? And then how yeah. long are you there through the film, the filming, and then afterwards in the editing and post and all that? Yeah, usually it's a, at least a year. And uh, if you're paying for it, if you're a producer paying for it, you want it to be six months. Um, but it yeah. takes, you know, a lot longer. And um, so it's, it, it rounds out to about a year. Sometimes it's a little bit less. Oftentimes it's much more. Uh, one of the shows I did in Australia was two and a half years. So that was a large commitment, mm -hmm. but, um, it, it really, again, it depends on the show and what it is. How do you choose Eric? Does the project have to excite you, spark your imagination? How do you choose a project yourself personally? And say, well, this if, is you, what if you have a choice, I mean, sometimes you, you don't, sometimes it's like, uh, opportunity that and you need the work whatever but then oftentimes you have multiple offers which is was ideal and if you do then i usually choose the people over the project in a way okay. some some people say this is a great project but everyone's an asshole well you don't want that one you know because it's not going to work out and so you want to have the, the ideal is you have just wonderful people uh who are very um, collaborative and who uh, empower you to do your work and also a great project. That's, that's the ideal. But if there is a priority, I would pick the people over the project. Not that you want a, a horrible show, but uh, the people and the, because you're spending a year with these, mm -hmm. these folks. And, and I imagine so, long hours and, and like, what are your typical oh, yeah. hours? Yeah, typical hours change. I mean, um, well, to answer your question about how long, you know, when I'm hired and when it ends, and that sort of fits into the hours. Usually, I am one of the first people involved. Uh, first person uh, typically is a production designer because they set the look of the film. Uh, oftentimes, there's a, a DP who a director has worked with before. There's usually pretty close relationships there. Uh, and then the producers, and then I'm usually brought in after that because the visual effects have a lot of impact in the production design in terms of how much of a set you're going to build, what you can do digitally, what you can, uh, how you can cheat, all that kind of stuff. So the many questions in the beginning that uh, you get very hands-on with. So I'm on uh, typically in the first, you know, weeks or at least the first month or so of a project and then you go all the way through all the way to the end to when it's like they're grabbing the the last shot out of your hands and saying there's no more time and that's it and the 
So the, the relationships that you have on a film are usually the director and yourself and maybe uh, an executive producers, not necessarily line producers, because in the beginning, you have the line producers, the, the production designers, and they carry all the way through production, mm -hmm. and then they leave the show. And then it's just you and the editors and the director, and then you uh, take it all the way through. And the, the, the beautiful thing about that is that I get to really one of the only uh, departments that you get to see the film all the way through from the beginning inception to the production to the end of the, the show. And many people involved, whether you're the DP or an actor or someone finishes when you wrap and they have no idea what it's going to look like until maybe a year later when it comes out. Mm -hmm. So I get to see sort of the working um, you know, working directly with directors, especially seeing how they approach things. And it's a real education all the time to uh, to really know these people and, and see how the different directors work. Well, speaking of learning and, and really getting to see how these directors work and, and, you know, being a part of the process all the way through, James Cameron, obviously, you know, director of avatar creator and all that and and so many other great films uh my very first favorite of his was abyss um where he used that that effect of the underwater of almost like a silvery yeah water effect i'm not even sure how to describe it but really the really, water weenie is what they call it is that what they call it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay now it makes sense <laughs> put that image together um the but he obviously is blazing trails filmmaker first, right? And then, you know, he maybe he's come up, I don't know how he thinks, but he comes up with these these stories, these films. And if the if real life can't capture that, he he creates it. And right. has he been, you know, in in your world, VFX, uh, you're a VFX supervisor in that in that in that world of video, special effects has he taken the bar higher and and oh yeah and if and and how so like has he has has he really created almost an industry in a way or who would you credit and there's probably many people that you'd credit but can you give me a couple people like that that have really you know raised the bar and created this industry that you got that you have you know made your your life career and love yeah I, I would say there are two directors especially who have done that uh most impactfully uh james cameron for sure mm -hmm. and i would say first he's a visionary so he envisions something it becomes a story and then it becomes we have no we don't have the technology to do it in fact they uh, avatar was would develop many years before they had the technology to even do the first one and so he envisions that uh and and now he and he works with Weta, which is down in New Zealand, which uh, with Peter Jackson, mm -hmm. his his Lord of the Rings team down there. Yeah. And so they uh, they develop technology to do that. Also, uh, Robert Zemeckis is a, a incredible uh, visionary yeah. as well, yeah, like uh, right. uh, who framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, that was the first time they've ever had animation with live action. Mm -hmm. and I know people who painfully worked on that before you could really track things and uh, it was very difficult but it 
well, he, he is able to do a lot of things in terms of the visionary process and having the technique uh, come up to, to the necessary level to be able to produce his vision. Yeah. So both those guys I really have high admiration for. Yeah, yeah, Robert Zemeckis, who lives here in Santa Barbara, I, th I think he still lives that. anyway. Yeah, he, uh, I, incredible for what he did on, even on Forrest Gump, even though it was probably a lot more simple than, I mean, what yeah, he did but with during those. the day when the day that happened, you really didn't have any interminglings of live right. photography, archival photography, and an actor and blending them together where you thought they were in the same room together that's sort of a good definition of visual effects yeah yeah it was incredible and it was incredibly um entertaining and also groundbreaking and so i'm thinking of these so this is a new industry in a way right in in the world of you know photography film um Maybe it's been there in different ways, you know, all th from the from right. the train coming out of the screen and the gunshot, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That first film, but but really, how? Uh, what would you? Th what could you put a number? Like how many years? W in your opinion, Eric, did it really start to take shape and hold, and then become more and more mainstream and and sought after in film? Well, I think filmmakers. it started, there, there are many levels. I mean, from the train coming out with the, the LeMay brothers, Lemay brothers, I guess, and, um, and how everyone thought that was real and they freaked out in the movie theater. Right. Um, <laughs> started running for and, the, the doors. And you could, you could sort of say the first visual effects were just manipulating uh, film. So, like, people would... Um, uh, uh, practice with like overexposure, double exposures and things like that. Really simple stuff. And that was in essence a visual effect because it's something you can't actually photograph. It's something you have to manipulate to get the image. And then it developed from there. Um, Ray Harryhausen and all of those kind of uh, stop motion, uh, all the stop motion work that he did, um, matte paintings, things like that. And when they were all in the in-camera kind of effects. Uh, but I think the thing that really started, where it started to take off were like when we got uh, with Doug Trumbull, like with 2001, uh, with Star Wars, uh, mm -hmm. where John Dykstra, we can talk about John uh, later as well, who was a great, he is a great friend and, and we were production partners on many things. He started ILM, which was the, the uh, visual effects company magic. that needed to, to was created for Star Wars for mm -hmm. Star Wars. So that's where it really started to take off. And you got motion control cameras, which is basically you can shoot miniatures and make it look like you're in an environment. Uh, and you had con uh, uh, con computer control cameras that could move very slowly and repeat passes over and over and over again, things like that. So that's where the blend of uh, the computer and photography sort of got together. That's where I believe the, sort of the, the, the lifting point happened in visual effects. And then the next one was where it changed from analog to digital. And that's when we got into computers and that became another complete phase. And now it's just skyrocketing. Um, we got to take a break. Eric is fascinating. Uh, I uh, don't, don't say anything bad about anybody, but, 
cocaine bear. <laughs> That's a the the bear is all digital. I would never want you to say anything bad about your peers and people that you work with. But how do they do on that? I haven't seen it. Did the, I heard it was all digital, all or all? I uh, haven't seen it yet. You? I've seen the trailer. It looks hilarious. <laughs> it was the presenter of the uh, of the visual effects award last night, or a, a, the uh, the the mock up or the the sort of. Uh, suit version of the cocaine bear and uh <laughs> but uh it looks pretty funny actually yeah it does okay we're talking with eric durst vfx supervisor uh oh, i'm calling this the eric durst vfx series this is part two check out part one i'm going to try not to cover the same ground because it the first one's a really great episode and that episode is number 548, season 10, Eric Durst, VFX supervisor and Apple TV plus five days at Memorial. Um, Eric Durst and his exceptional, talented VFX team won the 2023 Visual Effects Society Awards for Outstanding Supporting Visual Effects in a Photo Reel episode. Five days at Memorial day two the levees breaking um we're also going to show on this episode part two the helicopter pad which by the way that's the whole scene i'm afraid of heights that scared the heck out of me <laughs> so we're going to play that we're going to eric has actually provided some really great um film from his process and that's available on the youtube interview version but check out apple tv plus five days at memorial it's a limited series um, and again, be sure to go back and listen to the Jeremiah, Jeremiah show. That's my name podcast and watch it on YouTube. Also, again, it's episode 548, not too, it was about a month ago and be sure to check out ericdurst.com. I hear the website's going up this week and, uh, he's teasing us, Dr. D. I can't wait for it to go up and there's going to be a lot of great stuff on there. Uh, we'll be right back. to take a sandwich with you, sir? I'll get drive through. Bruce Wayne. In the flesh. I'm gonna need that handbag. Yes. My invention beams any TV signal directly into the human brain. Mind manipulation, tampering with people's brain waves, it just raises too many questions. send you a riddle the riddler what? i will help you solve the greatest riddle of all who is batman I'm 
Hi, I'm Shadow Stevens. While I'm doing this and that and the other thing at the very same time, I'm having a great time on The Jeremiah Show, the greatest show in the history of the world. For the love of God, subscribe. No, seriously, subscribe. Hi there, everybody. This is Anne H. Hi, I'm Mariel Hemingway, and you're listening to The Jeremiah Show. Please visit me at MarielHemingway.co or the All for One Club and join the Barefoot Challenge. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack telling you, asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Welcome, Los Angeles. The Jeremiah Show is now on Radio Candy Radio. Discover a world of emotions, your digital radio. The Jeremiah Show airs 10 p.m. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. RadioCandyRadio.com Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. Our very special guest is returning champ. I'm going to call him for he's VFX supervisor, Eric Durst. Um, five days of memorial. Check out some of his great latest work there. Uh, we were talking about different filmmakers that have really raised the bar and really brought this, you know, what you do. Um, into film and modern film and uh, just a quick story do you know Jules Mann he was at Lucasfilm art director I, I'm, I, I'm you know, afraid I don't know, know. Um, Jules has been around forever he's a buddy of mine I went to college Ooh. with him and uh, his house was full of stuff from uh, apparently he created Jar Jar Binks that everybody oh, wow. <laughs> he got a lot of crap for that um, and there was a full like 8 foot Jar Jar Binks in his in his room but he started out with lucas um going through the warehouse picking up the death star dr d picking up the pieces and all the different you know the different things that they used and organizing and cataloging them that's how he got his start but now he does what you do eric and uh, very cool i'm going to ask a couple basic questions because i've always had this just a question i know this is stupid stupid questions but bear with me green no screens questions. Here. You know, I've got one here in the studio. We've got them all over in the studio here. Um, yeah. I've never understood wh- how they work. And blue. I know there's blue screens. I saw a lot of the Avatar stuff was done with blue screens and right. diff- tennis balls and things like that. That one made a little more sense. But what is the difference between them? And why, how do they work? I mean, how are you able to place something on it? What is the green in particular? Yeah. Sure. So um, there's a difference between film and when you're shooting film and you're shooting uh, video or you're shooting digitally. And um, so essentially you want to get colors that aren't uh, anywhere else. You want to isolate the colors. Right. So if you're having if you have blue behind you, you don't really want any other blue in the the in the scene, although the ability to um, to key, in other words, to 
isolate a color from the other is getting better and better and better. So in the earlier days, blue screens, I remember going, um, I worked on a, a show called Moonlighting with Bruce Willis. Oh, I love that show. And, <laughs> yeah. And I remember that was, oh, that was 20 plus years ago. And so going into the, the, the stage, the blue was vibrant and you had to actually wear sunglasses so you wouldn't get this these searing headaches because it was so purely blue because you had to distinctly in film have blue and nothing else because it was very hard to pick those colors out. Um, and now it's easy. So I could have like I could even this yellow, I could probably pull a mat off that because the, mm. the computer can see the differences between things. Um, typically, the difference between blue screen and green screen is if you have green behind, your skin tones have green in it because there's there's yellow in that. And um, so the sort of uh, yellow is has, has green in the mix. So it's it's it gets a little confused, um, although, again, the computers are really good at isolating things. But blue is, um, sorry, blue is uh, very different than your skin tones. And it seems like a natural light. So if you have light on the blue screen and it spills like that blue light sort of spills uh, against your skin, it will look natural. So hmm. that's usually why people do it. If that, uh, maybe I got too complicated. No, there, but, I, but I think I get it. I have a color that you can isolate and right. say, forget this color. This is going to be uh invisible just make it a, like a hole and put whatever background is in there that you need to need it to be and then uh the rest you you keep uh, so it could be other colors or is it those two are the best because they're not those are the best because green especially so at least in video in was and and digitally it it tends tends to have less noise hmm. blue tends to have a little bit more noise if you had red behind it, it would have a whole lot of noise so you don't want to have that noise you want to have it be very quiet so right now uh people tend to go towards green because it's the uh, the quietest color however if you're in a screen in a stage for like four months with nothing but this horrid green color it it makes you sick you hate it yeah. so uh i did a film down in australia which was we could have gone uh, green or blue we decided for because it wanted to be blue for a number of reasons but the number one reason was no one wanted to see green they they were happy with blue so we kept it a calm well, I, and i noticed in your reel there's a, a scene where there uh, it's almost like um, a cathedral maybe or like arches and the and the the actors are running through it and not everything's green screen it's like the arches are right. green and certain parts are green but not everything so who who came up with how how did they discover this or is it just in terms a of green photog screen, blue screen? yeah was it just a photo people that are in the photography business realized that everything that you just explained yeah well i think it's um it, it's when optical printers came in optical printers are very much like a a compositing tool on the computer where you have like you, you put two pieces of film together uh -huh. or two images together and i think the photochemical geniuses you know who were starting this probably in the i'm guessing now probably in the 40s maybe um maybe before then uh discovered they needed they knew they needed to isolate some colors from the others 
uh, maybe it was fifties. Um, and, and then they sort of came up with the blue screen process. I could, I could be completely off the record here. I know when I was working at a company called Apogee, which was, uh, John Dykstra's company. And it was the original ILM here in Van Nuys. And, um, there's, uh, they were developing technologies to sort of purify the blue screen process and make it, uh, make it good. So I think in the early days it was sort of crude and it got better and better and better. And now it's like AI is sort of taking over. So you can sort of separate anything from anything. And that's, Mm -hmm. if you can do that, eventually we won't need any screens at all. Okay, well, you have to take a break. Thank you for that explanation. It, it makes total sense now. <laughs> I appreciate it because I've always wondered this, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just go with it, you know. And I, we're we're in we're in green hell here, Kermit the Frog hell in the studio. It's a horrible color. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the color that just Richard, he's got to sit here all day in it. Um, <laughs> but let me ask you a real quick question, then we're going to take a break. Um, because I was thinking about this and about you today uh, in relation to the different guests that I have on the show. And when we, when I talked, I talked to a lot of musicians and songwriters and a lot of the time they're hesitant and I've come to know this. So I don't ask these questions much anymore, but they don't want to describe the lyrics because they, they feel that a listener should, everybody hears a song in their own way and they, they bond to it or they attach to it and they relate to it in their own way. And I can, I can definitely see that. And, same with a chef when we talk to them about a signature recipe uh, or to share their secrets you know, on how they make a dish that is so widely popular. They don't really want to obviously share those ingredients either. Right. But but for you, Eric, I mean, you you um, what you do, uh, people were really curious about how, what did I just see? How did he do that? What? Right. How did you trick my eye? The magic of it. Uh, do you, do you have any? Feelings of, I mean, you know, I guess you don't share your secrets and people would have to train many, 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 many years to, to get to any level close to you. But do you, do you mind talking about this stuff with, with us? And No, I, I love to do it. I don't think it ruins the magic of it. It's very much like you talk to magicians and there was uh, a period of time where no one would share their secrets. Yeah, there still is that kind example. of thing. And then there are other musicians who feel like if you understand the, technique of what you did then the way you see it is more like the art the ability the the art of doing it like you it's a great magic trick it's not like i don't know what you did but i do know what you did and i saw it and i respect it more because i see how well you did it mm-hmm. so i think i'm in sort of in that camp in terms of visual effects it doesn't destroy me feeling the movie at all but if I understand sort of how they did it, then I can better respect it because I, I really understand how well they uh, achieve that, how, how well they use their tools. This is the Eric Durst VFX series. This is part two. Check out part one. I think I said it was episode five. What did I say? 48. 48. Um, about 10 episodes or so ago. When we come back, well, you know, Eric, go to Eric Durst at IMDb. He has a, an amazing resume of films that some of your favorites are on there, I'm sure. Um, but one of them, one of the films that he worked on, he created the Gotham City and Batman Forever in 1995. The film was a box office success, grossing over $336 million worldwide and becoming the sixth highest grossing film 
worldwide in that year, 1995. It was followed by Batman and Robin in 97 with Schumacher uh, returning as director, Chris O'Donnell returning as Robin, and George Clooney replacing Val Kilmer as Batman. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you created that city. We'll be right back. Eric Durst. Somerset, England. The Jeremiah Show is now on Core Radio. Keep on rocking to the core. Core Radio. The Jeremiah Show airs at 10 p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Core Radio dot rocks. Hi, I'm Andras Jones from Radio 8 Ball, and you're listening to The Jeremiah Show, and I'm so excited that they are being so supportive of my new record, All You Get. With the Jeremiah Show. I am a Batman fan. I'm not a Marvel. I'm, I don't even know if he's Marvel, so don't don't send me hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't know what comic book he belongs to. But I love Batman. I was that was my DC. Oh, see, I'm gonna get hate mail. Oh boy, I just ruined it. I'm not gonna go back up and erase that though. I'm just gonna take my hits. Is that the is DC? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. All right, Batman Forever. The film was a box office success, grossing again over 336 million worldwide. You know, we happen to have a very special guest on today who was the uh, VFX or digital supervisor for Batman Forever. He uh, created. What were you? Well, let me ask you. What, what were you hired to do on the film? I was hired. Uh, this was a really a turning point for my career. I had worked with, been working with John Dykstra, and John is the uh, supervisor on the first Star Wars. And when he start, when that began, when George Lucas came to John to help him 
figure out Star Wars, John said, well, we need to make a company to do the work. And that was some of the work that really had not been done before. And so he hired all kinds of people. There's some great uh, you know, documentaries online about that. And uh, that became the first Industrial Light and Magic, which is one of the epic mm-hmm. uh, visual effects companies in the world now. And so, um, so John was John and I had been directing commercials uh, at his company called Apogee, and um, and there's a whole story about why VFX supervisors were doing commercials at that point. But um, we were we worked together uh, on a lot of things, and I had done been doing a lot of commercials at that point, and I was mainly a director of commercials. And so I came to John one day and. Um, after the company had folded and I said really uh, we had lunch and I said I'd love to get into features maybe you could help me any ideas and he was supervising the overall supervisor on um, Batman Forever and so he said well come to think of it um, I need somebody to do Gotham City and if you'd be interested would you like to do it? I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And so the next day I was in a stage with uh, at, at Van Nuys Airport here with uh, giant maxatures, we call them, which are miniatures, miniatures of Gotham City, but wow. like they're 30 feet high. And I have some pictures of those. Maybe I'll, I'll scan oh, those. I'd love and, to see those, yeah. And, and put those online with you. And so they were like, it was a miniature set, quote miniature, but it was like huge. And so, so you could walk was, uh, through it. You could walk through it, yeah, and and see it, and and have cameras move through it. So it was. Uh, I had done some motion control before, but nothing like that. And it was a, a really a, a incredible gift that John, you know, asked me to do this. And so uh, we started. That's how I first broke into feature films. So and it, it was a great way to start. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Eric. So. So there, it's a set. It's 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 a their models. If I'm is that the correct right. basically of the city? Yeah. Um, did you? There were obviously are probably designers and art directors and things like that to come up with it. Or do you contribute? And then what, how do you come in? Uh, you know what you do if it's a model and the cameras can move through it. Right. What do you do? How do you? You know where do you? Well, take the it? supervisor is sort of the overall translator of uh the, the vision uh, initially from the director and working with john and just sort of how the camera is going to move and what's going to do so you uh have people who are building the miniatures you have uh people who light and you have dps who uh, run the cameras and you have all these different separate departments and so my job is to sort of coordinate all those those people and say what the kind of lighting needs to be, how the camera should move. If you do a, a camera move, I look at it and say, well, it needs to be a little bit faster here, a little slower here, or move this way or that way. So you're directing the visual mm-hmm. effects, essentially. Okay. And um, in, in, in essence, the instead of being a visual effects supervisor, it really should be visual effects director. The only reason you can't be visual effects director is the Directors Guild holds the titles mm-hmm. of anyone who's called director. And so uh, that's never really been allowed. So that's why you're a supervisor. But essentially, you are directing the visual effects of of a film. Now, was what was the inspiration for the city? 
I mean, uh, I'm sure there's a whole team that came, you know, came up with the city. But was there, and were you involved in those talks and that creation and that imagination? Uh, I came in just after that had occurred. But Barbara Ling was the, uh, who's a great production designer. You can look her up. She's just doing amazing work. She was the uh, production designer on that. On those films, um, they were, the, the, the look of it was almost sort of like harking back to the TV show where everything was really bright colors and sort of cartoony kind of look to it. So we had really strong lights like, magenta and then uh, green and then purple lights and all these different colors going on. So th that sort of set the mood of the lighting and the maxatures, the 30, uh, even I think there was even one that was 40 feet high. Um, all those miniatures had been used for another film like a few years before and they were already existing. So we, we got those and then we retrofitted and we made them look more like more Gotham City like, but the structures were initially there. And so um, we that really set the look of it. And, and we had a certain number of buildings. I think we had 20 or 25 of those structures and it pretty much filled the whole, um, you know, hangar, which became a stage at the Van Nuys warehouse and uh, or Van Nuys airport. And that we would wow. prop them up and then. Sometimes you have a vision of what it needs to be, and then sometimes the tools, the resources that you have dictate what it looks like. So it was a combination of those. So we would set the miniatures up, look at it through the camera, figure out where it needed to go, use computers to uh, help navigate that. Andrew Adamson uh, came on early on as uh, he was just starting in the industry. Adam uh, is known now as the director and producer of all the Shrek movies and the Narnia movies. He's gone on to be a very successful director and producer. Uh, but he, uh, Andrew came on as, um, as a, a VFX supervisor as well, and he knew how to do computers, so he did pre-visualization of them. So we had a great team on that. And, um, you know, and, and like all these kind of projects, it's a combination of all the the people you have uh no one owns the ideas you have an idea of what the story you want to tell but you don't have a hold on all the ideas so you're always listening to people have brilliant thoughts that you never thought of like oh why don't we put the light over here or do right. do uh, uh make this one shorter make this one larger because we can focus better on this as as the camera pull, pulls in things like that you're always listening for and trying to make the best shot so it's very collaborative that sounds like such a cool, a cool set to work on. Such a great, especially what you're one of your first big film or your first film, big film it was project. First yeah. Film, yeah, it yeah. was quite a. Okay. Do you have a, a one minute story? And if you don't, we'll just say we'll go to break because I'm sure the story that that, that won't do it justice. But a good story, a good memory from that film. Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> I have many. I think yeah, I uh, uh, I, I'm trying to coalesce them. Uh, one thing that is one thing about miniatures is that it's a very slow process and it's something that you look at the final result and you think it's uh, going to be amazing. Um, and uh, so I think that the it, this isn't really a story. This is just sort of the process of it where the cameras move very, very slow and you have to do it over again. There'd be many times where you would 
spend maybe a full day on the camera, slowly moving on these miniatures and uh, finally getting the shot. And like the last couple of frames, something stops and the camera drops and you had to start over <laughs> again. And so that's a story that was repeated many times. Um, and so <laughs> it was uh, something, uh, you know, to behold. Yeah. One, one thing that I probably shouldn't be saying because I'll probably get arrested for this, but uh, <laughs> I, I guess that makes a good story, right? Um, the, in the, the, the Batman and Robin, uh, no, and, and I'm sorry, the first one, no, second one, where Arnold Schwarzenegger was the ice, uh -huh. the ice man. Uh, he had the ice mobile. And one great thing about miniatures is that you have uh, you have something tangible. And like you were saying earlier, uh, your friend has like a George uh, R. Beaks, yeah. You know, in the back background. I actually have. Uh, please don't tell anybody at Warner <laughs> Brothers. Uh, Nobody's listening. <laughs> I have the uh, uh, freeze mobile. Oh wow! Uh, in my. <laughs> Right. Catch him if you can, Eric Durst. <laughs> you may or may not have something very cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to talk. When we come back, we're going to say goodbye to Eric for now. He's going to be back next month. Um, we're going to premiere George Michael. He worked on the music video, George Michael's Freaks. And we'll be right back. afraid of the big black bat in an uncertain world in a chaotic time justice wears a mask
Please remember, I still want you. And in case you wonder why, well, just wake up, kiss that good life, goodbye. Check out Jeremiah's top 10 new artist picks on Radio India Alliance each week. The Radio India Alliance is a chart service that allows indie recording artists an opportunity to have chart placements. We don't charge. We support RadioIndiaAlliance.com. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. Hi, this is Carol Swarbrick. Check out Miss Lillian, More Than a President's Mother. It's a wonderful film, and you can find that on Amazon Prime. And I am so pleased to bring you back to the Jeremiah Show. to the Jeremiah Show a fascinating hour the Eric Durst VFX series part two check out part one um 546 and or 548 somewhere around there you're gonna find it George Michaels freaks the video the the smash hit around the world uh but was not aired apparently the video in the U.S. um Eric Durst worked on that Eric okay so this was a uh uh, George Michael video. Uh, Joseph Kahn was a director who I had known for uh, a long time. Uh, and uh, so he invited me to be a part of this. Uh, we had three days to sort of prep for it and then five and a half weeks to do it. So it was a lot of work in those days. That was 20 years ago we did this. And it was banned in the United States because it was considered just too X-rated. And if you see the video, you'll probably know why. Which we're going to put on the YouTube interview. Yeah. And then, uh, but it won, ended up winning the um, uh, Music Video Producers Association uh, Award for the Best Visual Effects that year. So it was sort of a, uh, a nice 
nice thing to have to win that and also be banned in the United States at the same time. All right. Uh, Eric Durst, uh, real quick, what you got any idea what you want to talk about next month? You want to tease the listeners or, or we'll figure it out in between? There are many things. I think the future <laughs> of visual effects, yeah. there are many things to talk about uh, with, with past films and current films, but also the future of visual effects, AI, the influence of AI and how that's going to play in this and many other parts of our lives is uh, a good place to, to start. Well, Eric, we can't wait till next episode with you. And thank you so much again for your time. Congratulations on your awards and your great career. And everybody go check out uh, Five Days at Memorial and look at his, uh, Eric's IMDb and, and start catching up on your Eric Durst. Send me your questions in between and we'll, we'll make sure we ask Eric on the next episode. Uh, communicate, listen more, and evolve. And here is George Michael's Freaks. and you are listening to the Jeremiah Show. Listen, man. Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify. The Jeremiah Show. Look for the black label. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve. My name's Danny Trejo. Jeremiah, you're loved, Holmes. I love you. I love It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.